FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. This is Sasswhat, a show about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. This week's episode is going to be a little disjointed. There's an interview at the top with Brian Gosselin and his wife, Sue Gosselin. Um, We were in Whitehall, New York last weekend for the premiere of Beast of Whitehall. And while we were there, we went out to breakfast with Brian and Sue. If you've seen the movie, you're aware of who Brian is. He was one of the police officers that was involved in the Abraer incident and had a sighting, a very dramatic sighting, actually. And Brian and Sue are members of the NSRS, which is the Northern Sasquatch Research Society. Um, so they kind of talk about Bigfoot in New York. And then in the back half of the episode, we talked with Paul Bartholomew about uh, Bigfoot in New York. So this isn't necessarily a Beast of Whitehall episode. It's just more about Bigfoot in New York State in general. The interview with Brian and Sue was actually recorded in a uh, diner actually right outside of Whitehall, New York. So this is a functioning diner. It was early in the morning. There was a large crowd. So uh, excuse the ambient noise. Finally, if you're in the state of Ohio, and I know a lot of our listeners are, we are screening Beast of Whitehall at the Canton Palace Theater on April 21st at 7.30 p.m. We're actually kind of the highlight opening film of the Canton Film Festival. Um, We'll be there. Brandon and I will be there. Some of the other people that worked on the film will be there. And following it, we will be doing a QA. and a So if you're in the area, swing by and uh, check it out. I think it's going to be a really cool event. I'm a ball buster. You you all know that by now. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, when we go back a little bit to the pattern thing, though, because I want to be able to have that on record because I think that's really cool. Can you talk about that? Yeah. um, We've been, since we've been collecting data and information now for, gosh, 10 years, we've been finding that at certain times of the year, you know, we can, when we get reports in, we can even if it's five years old or whatever, but we're finding that at certain times of the year there's concentrations of sighting popping up in certain areas. So, yeah, we, we feel that, you know, like Hubbard and Forge specifically, we have a man who lives over there who Brian knows, and he has had some really strange experiences on his property of vocalization, stones being thrown, etc. And he told specifically, it starts in July. So we know... The, the activity seems to pick up in that specific area. And we had two reports July. in that one. They were only a day or two apart, too, in that same area. Right. And then we have another gentleman who lives in Whitehall, very close to where we are right now. And on his property, he has clocked it. He says, I know every late April, May, the activity starts. He's had sightings. He's had stones thrown at him. He's found broken tree branches. He's had a lot of experiences on his own property. And then he says it quiets down, and then it usually starts up again around late October, November. So we are assuming that it could be a migration where they're passing through in the early spring, 
and then things settle down, and then late October, he may be passing through, coming back the other direction, because he he knows his property, and he's out on his property all the time, and he knows when the activity starts up, and when it stops, and when it starts up again, and when it stops. Is there, like, a predominant, like, one particular, I mean, like, do you notice a lot of, like, road crossings, or hunter sightings, or, like, is there anything like that? Hunter sightings, to be honest with you, in this area are rare. Really? It's more with people driving down Route 4, being on a back road, like over by us. In other words, how many reports after 76 over on the Bear Road in County Route 11? Oh, gosh. A lot. Probably a dozen. Mm -hmm. A lot. Where there's one in particular, that was Joe and then uh, Gina. This thing stepped over a fence that's almost five feet high. Stepped over the fence, across the road, stepped over the other fence, and went off in the direction towards my home, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But as far as patterns go, it seems to me lately that they're, they're on this, on a strip running north to west. That's, well, that's right. the way I look at it because we have a, we have a young, guy, young couple, saw the logo on my truck. I think about a month ago, the, the wife was in here without mm -hmm. the husband. Yeah. Then the husband, I ran into him two weeks ago in here. He wants us to come over and do an investigation. I've tried several times to get a hold of him. But anyway, he owns a place over here on uh, County Route, was it 18 or 21? doesn't matter. Know. It's only a couple miles from here, three miles. And he said that he owns five or seven acres of land, and there's a marsh behind his house. It's not a thick, boggy marsh, but he said it's... Uh, Trails are pretty good. He's cutting himself a four-wheeler trail through there to get over on the backside of his land for wood purposes. Mm -hmm. And he said he got in there, and he said he started getting this weird, weird feeling. This guy's probably 23, 24 years old, small guy. All right, love you. And he said he got back, and he said I, he said, right. I had the weirdest feeling. But he said I fin managed to... Uh, is yours, right? Yeah, that's me. He managed to finish the, the trail. And he went home. He said he went in the next day. And he said, these were trees that Diana of a softball pushed over. Pushed over, not broken. Pushed over the trail. He said, just like this. Did he take any photos? Yeah. Did he? And he's got a vocalization. I got to try to get her. He's got, you could barely hear the vocalization because he's done a cell phone. And he said, this thing about the old hair up on my head. And he said, when he got on the other side of that trail, he said, the hell with this. And he come out of the woods, and his wife said, what's the matter? He said, he was, she said he was snow white. She said, there's something back there. I'm not going back in there. And according to him, just a week ago, he hasn't been back in there since then, yet. But he I, did invite us to come. And he invited us to do an investigation. To We've tried to get ends meet. With him at this point. We haven't managed to get there yet. But here he lives in the golf course. You go the next little, little I call it mountain range. I mean, these are mountains compared to Ohio. Yeah. yeah. The next hill over is where we had Jen. Greenhouse, yep. the, the, but this was in the, the dew. This was in the dew and the golf course. And the guy from Connecticut who bought the property on the next hill over about vocalizations. He said, he said I, uh, he's hunted bear. He's done this. He blah, blah, blah. He said this was no bear. This was no this. this. You anything on it the but there's there's a lot yeah. right in this one strip. You're talking only eight miles long and four or five miles wide. Why? Why that? But everybody will look at you just like, say if you were in my position, where'd they go? Where'd they go? I don't know. You know, I've always looked at it this way. I was fortunate in so many ways to see what I saw, but very unfortunate the same, same thing. So I want to add some stuff to what you said. Plus I also want to um, say this is just, you know I mean, we don't really know the whole scope of it because we're only getting snippets of what people right. are willing to talk about or... So we think that there's probably 
way more sightings and encounters than we were even aware of. And so, you know, even like we were talking about the patterns, there may be a lot more to the patterns that we aren't even aware of because we just don't have the information coming in from all the people that may have had something happen. But um, going back to your question about hunters, fishermen. That I can oh, yeah. say we have. The fishermen, it's yeah. coming in from people fishing, especially in the East Bay area, because you're back, way back in the boondocks back there. And rocks being thrown into the water is a big one. Hearing vocalizations is a big one out in the real real back area of East Bay. What about, like, the red ice? Is that commonly reported or, like, no? I don't think so. Well, we don't, we to be honest with you, Seth, every sense... Every sense the initial movie was made about the, the the red eyes, yeah. and what I saw were red, but they didn't glow like a deer. Okay. You could tell they were red. Yeah. It'd be like me looking in your eyes, saying your eyes are blue. Your eyes, you could tell that, but it was there was nothing. I didn't see. Remember seeing anything in the center was just a big go, red Sam. eye. But ever since then, oh, they're glowing red. They're glowing red. That's when I started hearing about glowing red eyes. I never said glowing red eyes. But that's. Do you think it's is it? You shine a light on the eyes, it's eye shine, that's red, or is it, is it the eyeballs themselves actually... The whole socket that I could remember was red. 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 And there's one thing that Bill said, you said something about the mouth, you said something about the mouth, and yeah. Sue has taken me, I think once we she did it... We just back through it. But yeah. she took, put me into a psychic zone, or whatever you Not want to call really. it. Just kind of like into a... It had me real mellow, and mellow I, that's what I remembered when it got to the corner of that field. Think. But there's, you know, it's a hard thing to try and sit here and explain to anybody right. what I experienced, what I'm looking at. You're believing, you're not believing. Um, you know, people ask me, did you see testicles? Did you see breasts? Uh, did you see this? I wasn't looking for testicles and breasts. <laughs> I'm looking at something that don't exist, you know. You know, it's, it's, it's really crazy. But to... to I can relive this thing day in and day out because it's it's something that's etched in your mind and it's going to be there forever, whatever the case may be. How does that affect the way you talk to witnesses? Like when, because I'm sure, as opposed to most of the, because like a lot of these investigators, they've never seen anything. Right. But like you've actually seen right. something. I so saw you something. Can psychologically or emotionally identify with people usually. Well, I'm like Bill when it comes to that word. I do not put words in your mouth. Right. Did you see this? Did you see that? Did it do this? Did it do that? You tell me what you saw. Yeah. And then if I have a question or so, that's the way I do it. You never, you never put words in somebody's mouth. It's like a police officer doing an investigation. You tell me. I'll write down what you said. Now I'm going to ask you. I was just going to say, because he has the police officer training, too, he's a really great person to interview. You're reading body language. You know, you're, you're listening to, you know, how they're presenting what happened. You're looking for the emotion. Are they reliving the emotion of something that was really frightening to them or traumatized them? And he's very good at that. Very good at that. We, believe me, we get called out on bogus things. Remember that guy the last time we went out with? You know, the eyes are oh. shifting all over. He's telling us that things are in the woods with us right then while we're standing oh, there. This, there this was nothing was... there. There was nothing there. And they're, they're out there. They're out there right now. And we're like, oh, God. And we're looking, guys... like looking out in that field. <laughs> <laughs> Where is like, it? Is it invisible? <laughs> yeah, that means that metal evolved. Yeah. Yeah, he was definitely. Crazier than shit. How soon, that boy? <laughs> How do you feel about the paranormal versus biological animal debate? Do you feel it's anything supernatural or is it just strictly normal? Well, six and one and a half does the other. 
<laughs> paranormal, armor, I definitely believe. You think it has paranormal qualities to it? I haven't really read that much on it or heard that much about it. But when it comes to paranormal, and you said the paranormal with the, with the animal what? You with this it, in itself? Do you think it's a spiritual animal or a ghostly dimension or what, stuff like that? Or do you think it's what, a big book? Or do you think it's a biological animal? That's what I think. That's my personal. Do you think it's a spiritual thing? Or is it a being or something? No. I think I told you anyway. I don't know if you recall, but for probably two weeks prior to all of this happening, it was the radios were on the go constantly from northern, well, north of New York City, clear in the main. There wasn't any given night you couldn't look up in the sky, see things you couldn't. It was the state troopers. That everybody was getting dozens of UFO calls a night. Then, and some shit we saw. Amazing. Then this stuff starts happening. Where did they go? Well, if they're not here, they're up there for now. And I've seen the different programs now about where they're saying that they're, they're studying us for, to see uh, when they come down, is there enough of a food supply? So somewhere it could be somebody's meal. You know, I, I, don't, I don't believe that part of it, but there's just so much as, you know, you got all your skeptics. Anybody can say anything, and it's, it's like saying you're guilty till pro- or innocent to proven guilty. Yeah. Bullshit. You're, you, you are... Guilty until proven innocent, not innocent until proven guilty. It's just, it's gotten completely out of control, completely out of hand. And everybody, especially the people from the city, because we have Canadian lynx here now, we have bears here, we have mountain lions, we have wolves because the state let wolves go up in Hewlett's Mountain, up in your neck. It was 13 wolves go two years ago, January. Now you report seeing a wolf. There's no wolves here. The game warden told himself they let 13 go to help control a coyote population. Now you put the bounty back on the coyotes, let the hunters deal with it. Yeah. It's just. You don't have a bounty on it? Oh, coyotes, yeah. No, you can only trap them. You can trap them and shoot them, but we have a season. Ours is all year long. Yeah, I know it. I know it. A lot of states are like that. Um, shoot, what was I going to say? Oh, how many of these encounters are, I mean, do you get any, like, violent, where they're, no? Never what, what is the rock throwing, usually? Is it ever at people, or more like just a warning? Well, we, we've had people that have been, if they hadn't moved, uh, this were young, young people that were fishing down East Bay, they left. They said there were rocks the size of basketballs coming across East Bay, you're talking what? Oh, you're talking 60 good, feet, 70 yeah, feet? Yeah. And they can't. They have lanterns and they have a flashlight and they can't see nothing where they're coming from unless somebody had a catapult set up over there. And out there? And they had the vocalization and they said, "Uh uh-uh, we're done. And this kid did see Chris's... I think it's warning, though, because they don't... Me too. You're thinking, if they have the ability to throw something that heavy, that far, if they wanted to hit you, they would. Right. I don't think that they're trying to... I think they're just trying to get people out of their area, you know, like trying to get, you know, frighten them out of there, like, you know. Look at the night with me up Lake George. We had. I come out there. Scary color, incident. Color of that shirt. He was completely. What did you tell Seth about that? I probably did. Probably just don't remember. He's getting so, old, you know. We were up in the area that I was talking about earlier, up in Upper Floridian, up around the Buck Mountain area. We were in a trailhead area doing a night investigation, and we had the parabolic listening devices and stuff. We started hearing that something walking. We had it the was listening devices and everything. There are a lot of people that come up through there, but there was nobody else there but us that night. It was cold, or not cold, but it had been rain, had rained like 
cats and dogs. There was nobody. And the area around where we were, there's a deep ravine. Nobody could have gotten in. Big swamp back there. Yeah, and a swamp. No person could have gotten into that area. And what we heard was walking on two feet, and we all heard it. And we could hear it. First it was up in here, then we could hear it down in here. Well, there's there's a log road that goes down in, and Brian likes to go off on his own anyway and sit and listen and just... So he had gone down the log road. He also has a habit of pushing trees over in the woods. Every time we go out, all of a sudden we hear a and I'll be like, that's Brian, right? So we were standing there. There was like five of us. Well, why do you do that, though? Someone will fall down and hit the next person in. I thought maybe you'd heard, like, have you, do you, have you ever taken reports of, like, trees falling over from, like, a Bigfoot or anything? No. No. I Not that I can recall. I don't I recall any of those. So we were, there was like five or six of us still in the parking lot, maybe five of us, and he had gone down the log road, and all of a sudden we hear a big thunk, and we all stopped and looked, and I said, oh, Brian's down there, that's him, you know, I'm thinking he's just not, you know, pushed a tree over like he normally does, and then there was another couple minutes, and all of a sudden he comes up, and he was literally shaking, his face was, he had, his face was white, white as a ghost, and he's like, something just threw something down there, something, and I was like, that wasn't you pushing a tree over, and he said, no, he said, something just threw something, and he has, he was, so the log road is here, we're here, he's gone down the log road here, and whatever got thrown, got thrown between where he was and where we were, so he had to come back past that spot, and he did, he came back up, and, um, it, it was significant in size. It was a big bunk. Whatever, whether it was a piece of wood or whether it was a rock, it was. Well, it didn't significant fall. Significant weight. No. This isn't anything that fell because where I was, I mean, imagine log roads like this behind me. There's a big ravine, and here there's a hill like this. Whatever it came from the top of that hill over the log road yeah. and down into the ravine. So and, and I had had that listening device, and all the time I'm, I remember that's why I left because Bill wouldn't shut up, this one would shut up because those listening devices are so sensitive. Right, it's like it's you so howling in my ear, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I grabbed it and I went down the trail. I'm maybe 200, 250 feet down the road, and I'm sitting there and I'm pointing it up this way, and then down here it's a, it goes down into a gully with a little brook running down through. It comes out of the swamp, and I can hear. Stop. Stop. This happened a couple times. Then all of a sudden, I heard that cut them. Something up there. I had a small flashlight, which was useless, and I said, We got out of here. And I stood up and I came up the chair, and all I can remember now is shaking like a leaf. I said, Something down there. But it was jet black, and there were stars out, and that was it. We're back in the woods. It was jet black. So then we went back down. Yeah, yeah. There were two of us. Nobody else would go back Me, down. Me, you, and Cliff. I'm like, I'm going. And then Cliff came with us. Mm-hmm. So the three of us went back down, and we stopped in different places and listened and listened. We never heard another thing. And then the footsteps at that point stopped, and we didn't hear any more footsteps. That was night. that the same same night that we did to start doing the blast calling and got their vocalization, or was that another night? No, we didn't get a vocalization back. That yeah. was Kelly. Oh, Kelly. Kelly did that on her own. She got a vocalization back in that going up to that same area, but not as far up as we were. No, we had coyotes. She had used the Sierra sounds. Yeah. Uh, thing and she had she was up there with her brother. Mm-hmm. She's one of our members, Kelly. I think she'll be there. I think she'll be there this evening. Anyways, she has had a lot of experiences. She hasn't seen anything, but she goes out on her own with her husband. Or and she's had some really interesting experiences. And um, she so she was up that roadway. And it was more in the wintertime months. I can't remember exactly what time of year it was, but I believe there were snow banks. And mm-hmm. she decided she just pulled the car over. 
and turned her speakers up and was call blasting. She started getting a call back. First it was here, and then she heard one over here. And then she heard it here, and it's getting closer. And she heard it over here. And then this one's getting closer and closer. She said it got to the point where she thought something was going to come right up the right. bank and over it. She, was, she didn't have her video camera. She didn't have anything. She was trying to grab it, and then it just stopped right to the point where she thought it was going to come right up over the bank. Everything just stopped. What did it? Did she say what it sounded like? Was it? I. You'd have to ask her later today. Ask okay. her about that. She's supposed to be there today. Um, so it was very loud. Yeah. It was very loud. Because yeah, I was doing most the most of the talking, right? Because <laughs> oh, like he he, he <laughs> heard he heard something when he was a kid that sounded like the Ohio Howl. Oh yeah. Okay. Trent, more like the Trent vocal. Okay. When I was the first time I went to out to Kashaki hunting. Um, who wants mother's mother's store fried? they call it no. Mo- oh. mom's shop mom's store <laughs> I went to one. it's in a lot of newspapers that you get to the way station really she sells yeah, homemade food for the hundreds I know of what stuff. you're talking about it's a little tiny well, we used to stay at Dave Bowers tenement house over there hundred dollars a day I don't care if there's twenty people in it hundred dollars a day we got him we got him doing it but anyway this guy comes in he saw the sign on my truck oh my god he started going off and then Everybody calls this lady mother, and there was another guy come on and said, if you believe a word that man says, he says, you're crazier than we are. Like I see, guys, he makes up all kinds of stuff, and he hunts. It'd be north of that store. No, not north. Yeah, north of that store, someplace up on state land. How he's seen all this stuff and heard all this stuff, like you've got nothing documented. Well, you don't want to talk about it. People think you're crazy. So you're talking to me. I'm a complete stranger, and you're talking to me about it. Okay? But this same spot where she's talking about with Kelly, <coughs> she had said about the rocks being thrown and all this stuff. And we, it was quiet. Two, three months later, and we went up and we go out and do an investigation. I think Phil's got pictures you may have seen. But it's a, a spot where you used to be able to camp. The kids got in there and did all kinds of damage, blah, blah, blah. And it's a big spot. You can't camp there anymore. So I was only gone, like, five minutes, ten minutes. It's, you know, guys, you want to see something? Sue was there, me, Bill, and Kelly. There's a bank, it goes in, it goes, and it levels off. It goes up there, what, 30 feet? Probably more than that. More than like 50, 60. I said, you want to see this? And it's it's uh, pine trees and mostly... Um, pine needles. Up no, no not pine. Coffee? Hemlock. No, Hemlock grow. I'm good. And the bottomless you, pit. <laughs> that's, that's the one where we measured. Where yeah. we measured? I know you were ahead of I don't know the measurements. It was almost, anyway, we, there were seven tracks going up that bank. Started out here, one, two, then five. And going up that bank, we measured them. Bill's got it in, his, in the log. It's all measured. It shows Kelly stretched out and me with a no, tape measure. No, you're stretched out. And I think it was close to seven feet going up the bank from the front of the left foot to the rear of the right foot. And we, we got two casts out of that. And everybody's, not enough definition, though. No, not a lot of definition. Needles. You could tell it's a track. But anyway, you get a real word with pine, pine needles. But this is actually pushing down the pine needles. I mean, it's heavy. Going up the bank. So we had, did our thing and all that stuff. And what was it? We went up last year. Mm-hmm. And I says, the same exact bank. I says, come here, honey. You want to see something? Just you and me? Yeah, it was. I said, now I'll show you the difference between a... a and a bear track. Yeah, there was bear tracks. Everybody says bear. No. A bear going up the hill, claw marks. Claw, claw, marks. claw marks. This had the claw marks in it. Yeah. The second set was off the same bank. Wow. Yeah, I said, that is cool. Matt yeah. Bell says, holy yeah. shit, how did you find it? I said, walked in and looked. Keep yeah, your eyes open. There they were. <laughs> there, right there in front of you. I said, that, that was 
That was quite a day, that was. But we had uh, reports out of that same area being paralleled, going down the boat, down the Hudson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What makes you want to... I'll hurry up, guys. <laughs> what makes you want to keep looking like that? There's a lot of people that claim to have seen something and then they're like, I don't want to go in the woods forever again. I do. It scares them that much. Like, what makes uh -uh. you want to keep, keep looking? I want one. <laughs> I want a body. <laughs> I want hair that they can't explain. I want a real good picture. You want to prove it. I want the only way in my book that anybody's going to get a real good picture of a big thought is with a really good camera like she's got now. These damn um, cell phones. No, the cell not just cell phone. Your your nice vision cameras for deer hunters. Yeah. My own personal belief is that they have a six cents, seven cents. As soon as they break that plane, and they, they sense that they're on the move. Yeah, that, they're they, on the move. Because you know yourself, how many pictures have you seen where you've seen a perfectly clear one unless it's a fake? Fake. Yeah. <laughs> right. I agree. I think that they can see the sensors. They can, they they can, can see the something there. In the infrared, there's something there because they, everybody takes it as being a, a stupid animal. Oh, no. A stupid primate. No, they're no. smarter than we are. Yeah. They've been here for years, and, they're, and they come, they'll be seen when they want to be seen, put it that way. Or on an extreme accident. But tell mm -hmm. them, tell them um, after you had your sighting that when you went back looking for tracks with your nephew, he was scared to go back. I mean, he had nightmares for a long time after his sighting. But tell, yeah. them, how, tell them what happened <laughs> when you went back in with Greg. Well, where we went in is down by the Cogman, the bridge down there. Just if you went up the yeah, yeah. road, the way we came in, took it right down to Cogman. We walked, you have to walk over a bank, down the swampy area and up a bank. And the golden rod was seven foot tall. I'll never forget. And nephew's way to me, he was probably 16, 17 years old. And I heard a buck snort. You know how they blow? Yeah, they were just talking about Oh my God, he was ready to. He was, <laughs> and then, I, then when he, of course, when you're in that. Circumstance, he's going to run. You're going to run too. No, 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 no. It's just a, it's just a deer, just a deer. So we get up on top, and it was up in there. Well, put it this way, where that thing I saw went into the very corner of that field. There's a log road used to be there, go right down the Pony River, where they go back down in a zillion years ago to log. And that's where we found. I found one of the best prints I've ever seen in my life, where it went down the bank to like go down to the river, and it's all clay. You could see every toe. All you could see was from here up. Like it stepped off the bank to go down. You could see the path. Part of the press uh, we did for Beast of Whitehall was appearing on WNYT, a TV station out of Albany, and Look TV out of um, Saratoga Springs, New York. So I'm including both of those interviews in audio form on this podcast just so you can kind of hear some of the press we did. And if you're in New York State, particularly upstate, you might be able to see Beast of Whitehall on Look TV, which I think is Channel 8. So I'm including those two. documentary focuses on Whitehall's famed encounters with a strange being. Mark Mulholland reports on Beast of Whitehall. 
It's not the first time cameras have come to town to tell the story of Whitehall residents' encounters with a large hairy creature. Sightings along A Bear Road have drawn interest from all over the world. This time they're the focus of a documentary created by Seth Breedlove. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, you can come to this and kind of walk away with your own opinion on the, the situation. We don't try to lead people in one direction or the other. Brian Gosselin doesn't need to be led. He was one of several local people to see something very strange here in the 1970s. Then an off-duty cop, he remembers with vivid detail his encounter with the tall, red-eyed creature. But when I hit it with the spotlight, you could tell they're red in color, not glowing red, red in color. Gosselin is one of several witnesses to tell his story in Breedlove's documentary titled Beast of Whitehall. It debuts during a free public viewing at the Athletic Center Saturday afternoon. In addition to wanting to make movies about cool monsters, we, we want to preserve history. As for Gosselin, he's aware that people are skeptical. He was once too, until that night in August 1976. I'm sitting there looking at something that don't exist. Yet there it is right in front of me. In Whitehall, Mark Mulholland, News Channel 13. Welcome back, everyone. Well, as you know, I comment, uh, I comment on this a lot. I'm always amazed by the number of people doing all kinds of interesting projects throughout the North Country. And boy, do we have one for you today. Uh, it was about six months ago, Andrew here said to me, a couple of guys are in Whitehall and they made a documentary about the Bigfoot sightings in Whitehall. And uh, they're kind of legendary if you live in the area. And lo and behold, we found out that two guys from Ohio were actually here making a documentary uh, about this sighting. So joining me today are the director and the producer of this documentary. We got Seth Breedlove and we've got Brandon Dalo. I said it right, good. Because <laughs> it's spelled what, D-A-L-O or something? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so Dalo. So welcome guys. I welcome from the big state of Ohio. Oh, massive. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> to the big state of New York, I yeah, guess, yeah, right? right? A lot of similarities, I'm sure. Oh, there are, actually. I bet. Um, now, you've got a company called Small Town Monsters, mm -hmm. so you have a specialty in wanting to go around the country chasing down folklore and chasing down sightings of these unusual sort of X-file kinds of things, if you ask me. Yeah. So what interested you, Seth, in this one? Uh, in this one, I love the idea of this story that involves all these law enforcement officers mm -hmm. uh, seeing this unknown creature because typically when you think of a Bigfoot sighting, you it draws to mind like teenagers drunk in the woods or yeah. like a hunter somewhere having an encounter with some sort of creepy glowing-eyed creature. And this story has official members of the society, you know, in terms of law enforcement actually seeing one of these creatures and these guys are trained in the art of observation so obviously their 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 testimony is going to be um a little bit higher than some other people so so that really drew me in and then right when we were kind of starting to move on this project uh one of our key witnesses paul gosselin actually passed away mm. um so that kind of brought me around to thinking we really need to get this documented. We need to make a film about this before we lose some of these other witnesses and some of the key uh, pieces of information get lost to time. You know, they'll always tell you when you uh, come across witnesses, and you're right, it could be a bunch of kids in a car or something, you know, there's all these, all these takeoffs on the, on, on the credibility of whether something really happened or not. And then all of a sudden you talk to somebody and it almost 
bone chilling because you realize that this person truly believes what they're saying to you. And then it ratchets, the credibility ratchets up, of course, of their officials. Yeah. Because they are, as you said, they're either trained in it or, you know, you can count on the fact that they're focused on what they're, on what they're observing. Um, all right, with that said, and yeah, I suppose you do the, uh, the research, right, don't you, Brent? Yeah. You know? Yeah, Seth does a lot of the research before, okay. before we get into it. Um, but yeah, he, he usually goes through um, a witness list, people yeah. have, who have um, d said that they've seen the creature and does all the research and gets a hold of them and tries to see who we can talk to and do the interviews with them. It's a, it's a back and forth kind of thing though because like when we get, initially it's me on my own, but once we get into editing on the movie, it becomes, uh, Brandon, especially on Beast of Whitehall, was extremely involved with how these characters, who was going to be a main character, who mm. needed to play a larger role in the story, and we, we go back and forth constantly on why we think things should be the way they are in the film. And as the guy, like on, on Beast of Whitehall, I'm sitting there editing, and then Brandon would watch footage and be like, we need a larger focus on this person or mm. this person. And sometimes it didn't go exactly smooth. Like, I didn't always agree with him, but typically, if I sat down and thought about what he'd said, I'd find that his input was probably ten times as valuable as what I was trying to hold on to from my own point of view. Now, this story revolves around an incident in 1976, right? Mm -hmm. And over the course of a week, so this wasn't just one time, you know, oh, it was a foggy night and a you know, black bear wandered down out of the Adirondacks, right. that there were some very specific, there was a correlation between what witnesses saw over the period, I think you were telling me, of a week, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Now, uh, let's, let's talk a bit about where it happened. Kind of an open field near a stream, right? Yeah, um, there's Bear Road. Is the, is the incident is called the Bear Incident. In fact, the tagline for the movie is uh, the Bear Incident. Right. So there's this field, and Bear Road runs right through it. And nearby is the Pulteney River, which runs through the state of Vermont and New York and is obviously a, a major river and water source. So it's, it does, it's surrounded by thick forest. Um, you can see that in the film. We, we threw some drone up and, and caught some of that on, on camera. And obviously from the maps and aerial maps and all that kind of thing, you can look it up for yourself. I mean, if you're going to see an undiscovered animal or some sort of large predatory animal, it's probably going to be in that location. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Now, um, what did witnesses uh, say to you about this? Um, well, as far as like the witness descriptions, what, the, what we most commonly heard uh, described was these glowing red eyes. And when it, when it comes to these Bigfoot sighting reports, you don't always hear about the glowing red eyes, but it comes up enough to make you think there might be something to it, mm. as odd as it seems, especially uh, as a natural animal. Mm -hmm. um, but we did, we did find out from Paul Bartholomew that there's a history there, and going back even to the Native Americans in that region of creatures that have uh, eyes that glow like timbers or coals, something like that, he told yes, us, right, in really the mountains. So, right. so it's obviously a, a piece of information about the creature that's gone back forever. But seven to eight foot tall, um, she obviously covered in shaggy hair, mm -hmm. uh, and it just kind of depends on you know who's seeing it and when. Right now, uh, it started off, and we're going to tell you when you can see this film, and we're going to be running it all next month, uh, frequently here on Look TV, so you get plenty of opportunities to see it. Uh, it started off with a couple of kids, right? They mm -hmm. saw it, scared the you know what out of them, mm -hmm. came into town, grabbed the sheriff, took the sheriff out, and the sheriff 
I think, <laughs> saw it himself, right? And then over the course of a week. Now, uh, before we went on air, you were telling me that they think that it was hanging around. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the theory about why it was hanging around for a week? Um, I mean, we can only speculate, you know, but, but Seth and I kind of think, we've theorized that maybe it's, it had a, a, a juvenile with it, a kid, oh, yeah. in the area, mm -hmm. and it was... Because what other reason would it have for sticking around in that one spot for a week? You know, because mm -hmm. people saw it the first night, second night, later that week, someone shot at it. Um, so, yeah, the only thing that we could really think about would be that it had a, a juvenile with it somewhere in the vicinity, and it was trying to keep people out of that area, and people just kept kind of interfering. Yeah, I bet. Um, now, uh, there was some also talk that uh, some carcasses of deer were left yeah. around, so it was obviously feeding on something. Yeah, if, if that's what killed it. Yes. Um, the, there was a deer found right up at the top of the field. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, right in the corner, same corner general area where the law officers actually saw the creature mm -hmm. exit the field. So mm -hmm. they saw this thing walk up to a, a, a fence line, disappear into the trees, and later a deer was found in there. Mm -hmm. So were you surprised by this? The deer? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, th this story is, is endlessly surprising to me. We, you know, we always find these stories fascinating, but, but the amount of people that come forward wanting to talk about it and tell their own sightings always, always surprises me. I had people calling me on the phone when, when I was here back in July filming, um, and they didn't want to come on camera, but they wanted to tell me about their sighting. I had four different people call to talk to me about their Bigfoot sighting in the wow. general vicinity of Whitehall. And the number that I got from Bill Brand as far as like how many people in the area, how many sightings there have been around Whitehall is 240, I believe is what he told me. Unbelievable. Well, you know, uh, partially because of the river, mm -hmm. partially because of the isolation and the density of the Adirondacks in that area. Anybody who travels through there, lives there, will know exactly what we're talking about. The situation and the setting and the environment is really perfect for if this is going to happen, it's going to happen in an area like that, right? Yeah. So um, now you've uh, been around the country, you're doing something in Arkansas, didn't you tell me that? Uh, so there are a few of these around the country that you're chasing, right? I think every town has a monster. Um, <laughs> in, in, in the town I grew up in, we had a monster called Minnie, uh -huh. and she lived in a in a in a railroad tunnel but the weird mm -hmm. thing about it is every town has a monster so many of these monsters are upright walking hair covered ape-like mm -hmm. beings mm -hmm. the the amount of monsters local monsters who are flying around or swimming is not anywhere near the same as the the bigfoot like creatures which is yeah, an right. unusual i mean if you want to i've always thought that that is a case for the existence of the creature. Uh -huh. So we're going to have to start to call you Mulder. I'm telling you, oh, this yeah. is going to be a problem. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah, right. um, the Beast of Whitehall. The premiere is tomorrow, Saturday, in Whitehall at, uh, where is it? Where? The Whitehall Athletic Club. Okay, the Whitehall Athletic Club. It's 40 minutes in length. You'll be able to see it here on Look TV. But the reason to go to the premiere, of course, is that you get to meet them. Is a Q&A period, yes. right? Yeah. Um, a lot of the people who are in the film will be there as well. Yeah, our three main kind of characters in the film will be there. Right. So well, This I, is fascinating. You know, it's, very, it's, it's unusual to start with, and it's really unusual to have you in our area. I really want to thank you yeah. for coming in and, you know, exploring this and chasing it down and taking care of the witnesses. You know, we're in media. It's not easy to get people to talk to you, to cooperate, put it together, edit it, and uh, make a cohesive story. Yeah, yeah. 
Thanks Not to mention the soundtrack, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but thank uh, you, though. Yo, you're welcome. Uh, again, in Whitehall tomorrow, Saturday, 3 p.m. and 5 p.m., right? Uh, 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. encore oh. showing. 3 p.m. is Paul Bartholomew will be talking about Bigfoot in New York. The Q&A takes place at 6. It does. Okay, yeah. right. I got news for you. This sounds like a great thing to do. And, uh, and then we'll see. I suppose you're going to enter this in awards and... Yeah, it's, it's been entered into festivals. We've played at six festivals so far. We opened the Canton Film Festival in Ohio on April 21st. Great. Best of luck to you guys, and great. Thank so you for taking the time. Thank you. For your trip here to come in and talk to us. Thanks. See this interview again. You can head to our website, looktvonline.com. I remember. <laughs> the old days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we were young. Yeah, carefree. Uh. So anyway, I'm just going to go ahead and, and start recording, but we're, we're talking to Paul Bartholomew, who was uh, a big part of the Beast of Whitehall filming, and what I had planned on doing while I was in New York last weekend was recording interviews with a lot of the major players in the film, and um, uh, basically what happened is I, I just ran out of time. So it was a like a crazy whirlwind day. And I had not expected the, uh, I guess I hadn't expected the screening to go as well as it did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, I thought I would have more time and it just didn't play out that way. So I, I did record an interview with Brian, which will be included on this episode as well. And, uh, but I definitely wanted to talk to Paul because even though he's already been on the show once, I think the last time we were on, we didn't spend, I don't know how much time we spent talking like Bigfoot in New York. And that's kind of Paul's, um, specialty. In fact, like in, in Whitehall, I don't know how you feel about this, Paul, but they refer to you as the expert, like the Bigfoot expert. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, well, I just happen to be a local person, so uh, they, they're pretty well familiar with me. Yeah. And I have to say, like, it was crazy, Mark. Like, when when Paul got up there, <laughs> the ovation or the, the, the cheering and everything was t like 10 times as loud as it ever was for our movie the entire day. <laughs> like, <laughs> like when he was when he finished his talk, like there were people screaming Paul. So that's wow. He's, so the campaign began yeah. at the Beast of Whitehall screening. Yeah. About how many people did you have show up? We don't know. I'm, I said 500 because that was what I was told by someone. It might have been Marge from the, the, the Arts and Recreation Commission. But I think 500 is probably a high estimate, a little on the high side. And Paul probably agrees with me. It seems a little high to me. Um, because there were there were about 250 chairs on the floor, and those were completely full. And then there were people standing around the back and on the sides, and then there's a balcony area, and there were people seated up there. So, so my estimate on the first screening and Paul's talk and all that was maybe around like 320, something like that. But I think for the day, it probably did go over 400 at least because we ended up with a bunch of people there for the second screening that weren't there for the first. And then we had people that came for the Q&A. And then the other thing I saw is uh, people come in, see the crowd was like so so wildly large, just walked over to our table, bought the movie, and left. Oh, <laughs> so, that's okay too. Yeah, so I noticed <laughs> that happening a lot too. So, um, wow. 
Awesome. Well, well that's the thing. In, in the paper, they reported it as uh, 300. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you're, you're probably right. I think it's somewhere between three and five. And the thing was, it wasn't just one event. It was really uh, three things over a three-hour period. Mm-hmm. And so you had a lot of people coming and going, and and uh, yep. it was just a great event. Yeah, it was shocking. And the only regret I have is that we scheduled an encore showing of the movie. I think it would have been better to go right from your talk into the movie, into the Q&A, call it a day. And we did we did the, the encore showing because I wasn't sure how seating was going to be. But in retrospect, I mean... I think we would have been fine. People were okay with sitting on the floor and back and stuff, and I think it probably would have worked out better that way just to go into the Q&A. Because by the time we got to the Q&A, there was only about 20 of us maybe sitting up there. It, it, right. it had definitely gone quiet by then. But the overall, the event in general was was really, I mean, it was, it was insane. For me, it was a real kick in the butt because you just don't know. Like, this movie... I think you and I have talked about it, Mark, and I think I might have talked about it with you, Paul. Uh, that the in terms of like press regionally, the movie Whitehall didn't get a third. I keep saying about a third of the press that Minerva did. Minerva, we had, I mean, hundred not a hundreds, but if you if you factor in the Akron Beacon Journal article that got picked up on the AP and ran coast to coast and all the papers, I mean, it probably does come out to like hundreds. Uh, mm-hmm. Um. And Whitehall just wasn't like that, but it still seems like it's doing better than Minerva did on launch, which makes no sense to me. Um, like as a guy who's attempting to figure out how to distribute this by myself, mm-hmm. I'm tr- I'm trying to make like tr- sense of that, how that worked out. But um, that isn't. I don't necessarily want this to be like a Beast of Whitehall episode because people will send me complaints about using the show to promote the movie. So what we're, what we're going to do is uh, talk more about Bigfoot in New York. And um, if you have questions, Mark, just interject or throw them at, throw them at Paul because he's, he is the expert as far as I'm concerned in listening to, at least on like local lore and, uh, and citing reports and all that kind of stuff. The guy has a encyclopedic memory too, which is, is kind of crazy when you're when you're listening to him um but paul um when something we talked about last time you were on really quick and i want to briefly touch on on it again have there been many sightings in that area and what was kind of the most recent one because i know you had told me about one you had investigated fairly recent i mean it wasn't super recent but it was fairly recently so i'd like to hear about that if if you're allowed yeah, it's a consistent pattern. We've got sightings right now that are uh, investigations still going on on a bear. Uh, uh, certain people, uh, Frank Szczynski, uh the researcher from Vermont State, uh, from Hubbardton, he's the individual who took the the famous Vermont trail cam photo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got some contacts out there, and, and we've been conducting research. There have been sightings. Uh, we'll just say in the a bear vicinity, hmm. uh, as recent as last year. So this is a continual uh, uh, flow of, of reports. How many, like in terms of Bear, uh, do you have an estimate on how many sightings have taken place there other than that initial, you can discount the initial week and, and all the activity then, but like do you have an estimate or a guess as to how many sightings have taken place in that location since? 
Well, uh, it's it's one of those things where if you talk to the people up there, they all have a story. Mm-hmm. There's always a story, whether it's Harry Dykel, uh or uh, Bob Dykel, or They all have some story of someone who saw something there or, or the reports at night or things like that or the current investigations that are going on. Um, in fact, when the news crew came up from uh, Albany, which was uh, Marie Rice, and then uh, there was uh, Tracy Egan from uh, Channel 6 down in Schenectady, they both came up. That's how big a news event this was. I mean, they're covering it on the local news. It's talk of the town. And uh, they reported on uh, neighbors who had said that they had heard of a similar creature back in the 50s. Hmm. So uh, this was just, uh, it just became a landmark incident, the Abear Road incident, because of the police sightings. And, but, uh, and so it got a lot of publicity, but there was a long trail before that and a long trail and since then. Mm-hmm. So, but, the, you know, like the recent reports don't get any publicity uh, because the whole reporting on the phenomena is different now. How? Uh, well, nowadays it goes to the Internet, okay. and you, you might get an Internet report that only uh, you know, a few people get, or, or maybe just a group, and it's a general vague report. Where back in the day when they used to splash an article on the uh, a newspaper, you would see uh, a news pl- clipping service like Lou Farish or, or the Cleveland um, News Clipping Service would pick it up, and, and people would get it that way. And so the whole reporting of the phenomena is a little different now. The, the the Dykels are the the family that owns kind of the property right there, correct? Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, an ironic thing is when we wrote the first book, which was Monsters of the North Woods, mm-hmm. uh, back in 92, we finished the last chapter on Bob's computer overlooking the Abear Road site. Uh, I mean, Bob's been great with us, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he's been very good with anybody that comes up there to, you know, to... To visit and to shoot, like uh, when uh, Animal Planet visited or Mysterious Encounters or History Channel. I mean, it, there's been a long, uh, you know, he's he's been great with it out there. There's been a long uh, media that that have looked into the sightings. Uh, you you had told me at some point, I think I might be remembering this wrong. Someone told me that there was a track cast or found. Maybe it wasn't casted in in their field in the in the actual Abair Road field. Uh, there was a there was the cast that was made by uh, 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 the deputy sheriff LaRose. Glenn LaRose, yeah, right. But but there wasn't anything else. There wasn't actually a cast or a track found by one of the Dykels in the field at some point. Uh, 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 what it was was uh, uh, Harry Dykel, okay. who was the farmer. He had found tracks. They didn't cast them, okay. but he had found tracks in his cornfield, and that was around the same time. We also had a a down deer carcass that was found and nobody's ever been able to relate whether the creature was after that or if somebody had been doing something else and it, you know uh, there were a lot of loose ends tied up there did, did was that deer cuz we talked about it it's mentioned really briefly in the film i think even but was yes. the deer did it mention how the deer was killed was it like i mean was it something where a hunter or someone had killed it and thrown the body back there and people think that it was just scavenging or was it like an unusual kill we were never able to determine just exactly what that was, and uh, the news report close to the time, uh, as close to a week of the, the actual find, uh, described it as a ravaged deer carcass, and that's how they left it. Hmm. Are there a lot of, like, coyote or wolf up in that area? Yes, there are. absolutely. We have the eastern coyote. In fact, uh, it's so populous now that 
and it didn't used to be as populous as it is now, or doesn't seem to be, but now it seems extremely populous, and you will find them on the sides of the road occasionally being hit by automobiles. Wow. There there could be a war situation between the wolves and the Bigfoots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it would appear that you see what what we have here with the the Whitehall situation and the West Rutland situation in Chittenden, Vermont, and Kinderhook, New York. We have these flap times, or they seem to be flap places, uh, general areas. John Keel would call them window areas, where there seems to be a, a frequent amount of of creature or UFO activity or paranormal occurrences. But what they do is they form this migration theory that Dr. Cook who was the professor of history and anthropology at Castleton State College in Vermont, which is now Castleton University. Um, he was one of the, the uh, academics that was involved in this. And he felt that there was, based on these creature reports, migratory routes that this creature was taking. For instance, we seem to get a, a real surge of sightings in the uh, August, September, and October time frame. Uh, the other thing is we would have sightings like uh, uh, there was a sighting on uh, the uh, uh, West Rutland, Vermont, in, in 1985, and there was a sighting in 1986 exactly a year and a week later. Hmm. I mean, is that a coincidence? Uh, the Hampton, New York, which is Hampton's only a few miles outside of Whitehall, the Hampton sighting that I investigated in 1989 uh, fell on the anniversary of the original Abair Road sighting. Well, that's a, that's what I was going to ask: is are these Abair sightings happening in the same time period? Which is, I mean, like you said, August is when the the seventy six ones happened. Is that typically when the sightings in that area take place? There seems to be a a larger number of sightings in that time frame. However, we get sightings through every month. For instance, Dan Gordon sighting that was so good, right? Uh, and passed polygraph. He passed a polygraph test. I mean, it was featured on History Channel and so forth. Dan, uh, uh, his sighting took place in February. Hmm. But the interesting factor here is that the Abair Road creature seemed pretty bulky, mm-hmm. a large, uh, uh, not fat by any means, but but uh, you know, solid. And the creature that Dan Gordon sighted in February seemed very thin. Mm-hmm. And you wonder if that isn't simply because of the time of the year that it would be, uh, you know, a little thinner, being uh, food might be a little leaner in the wintertime. And I finally got to see that um, drawing you have of the of the Dan Gordon creature, which is extremely creepy. It's it's completely different from what you hear um, descriptions of the Abair creature as being. It's a very yeah, like in in the in our film we refer to it as a gaunt gaunt mangy right. animal um, right absolutely in fact uh, uh dan did that with a forensic sketch artist mm-hmm. who worked with various uh, law enforcement agencies uh, very very credible and she came up with the history channel and what she did is she, she was actually in my living room here with dan mm-hmm. and they sat at a table and they sketched it out and if you watch the history channel uh, you'll see dan give her the descriptions and so forth and that was not a quick process. That took multiple hours for her to reconstruct that. And I can remember she said to Dan, uh, close your eyes and, and think about the incident that you did, that, that, that you uh, experienced, and then open your eyes, look at the sketch, and tell me how close we are. And at one point, Dan did that, 
and he looked down at the sketch, and he says, that's about 9.5 out of 10. And he says, the only reason it's not 10 is because 10 is up here, and he points to his head. Wow. So, I mean, that was a long, involved process, and that also was a sighting that involved another uh, police uh, uh, police official. Mm Mm-hmm was with Dan at the time. So you see, the, the Dan Gordon sighting becomes a real headache for skeptics because uh, there is no... I, I knew Dan, uh, he was honest, but he also took a polygraph by the New York State uh, polygraph uh, authorities there that, that bring up the polygraph when there's a kidnapping case or something like that. He came up and he said, you know, there's no deception with Dan. So the skeptic would argue, well, he thought he saw it. He's sincere, but he thought he saw it. Well, no, that's a little difficult because he had a police officer with him at the time who also saw it. So for him to have just imagined it, that would mean two people would have to imagine the same thing, and that becomes highly unlikely. Well, so now you have uh, two witnesses to this thing. You have polygraph. There, there's no, and, and it just becomes the most logical explanation is that Dan Gordon and this other officer saw something quite extraordinary that was out of the ordinary. That's not a bear. And that crossed the road in three steps. And the nature of the the way that Dan actually came forward with this sighting, which was uh, what he thought was a deathbed confession. And in talking... Yeah, we, yeah, we went to the scene with Dan and the other officer uh, a few years afterwards, you know, to, to re... Uh, when we were doing the book Monsters of the North Woods, we, we decided, you know, we wanted to make sure we had the facts straight on Dan Gordon's sighting. And so he took us there anonymously. We had to identify Dan as anonymous law enforcement official hmm. because he was that worried about this getting out. Um, it wasn't that he was threatened. He didn't want to be known as the Bigfoot cop. Right. Uh, these witnesses have everything to lose, nothing to gain. And, uh, you know, uh, he was a very good police officer. And uh, Dan, uh, you know, uh, I just give my, it's a high, highly credible sighting, and it's a real difficult one for skeptics to explain. And, you know, my, my brother is 6'2", and when we did the history change, he played the role of Bigfoot. He uh, did these long strides across the road, and, and it was a road parallel to the actual road that Dan had a sighting on. And so when he took his steps across the road at 6'1", or I'm sorry, at 6-2, it took him between uh, six and seven steps to clear the road. This thing crossed the road in three steps. That was verified by both uh, police officers. Uh, the, so, the, I mean, the height of the creature, the, I mean, this is a very, uh, this is much different than a bear. You know, they, they have, if you go on YouTube and you uh, uh, look up the videos of uh, this walking bear that yeah. they have up in New Jersey, it's one of the funniest things you ever want to see. But when you see it, it's a bear. Right. Even though it's walking like a person and it's walking on two legs, you can't look at it and go, hmm, looks like a gorilla. Looks like it, it's, it's a bear. And, uh, you know, so, and, and it doesn't cry, you know, it takes little stubby steps and stuff. But, uh, you know, this is something completely different. What year were the, the Gordon uh, sighting? When did that take place? Dan's was in uh, February of uh, 1982. Okay. What? What? Uh, just for my own curiosity, what road was he on? Uh, he was on uh, the road out by South Bay, which it would would be twenty two, which goes up to uh, Ticonderoga. Oh, so like right, and, right where I stayed. We stayed on that. Yes. How far? You would. You would. You know where you you go across the bridge there at South Bay. Yeah. 
it's uh, shortly after that. No you know, and, and what they would do is, is it's about 4.30 in the morning, and they're on patrol. So, and, and Dan used to do things like he would roll his window down when it was very cold out to, to smell for, like, wood burning, mm-hmm. you know, for, for fires, structure fires, things like that. I mean, he was a very good police officer. Mm-hmm. And so they would do a routine patrol where it was 4.30 in the morning, and they would go out to South Bay, turn around, and come back because that's the, where, the, you know, where the town ends. And so uh, that's what they were doing was just it was a routine. They, they weren't thinking about, you know, talking about creatures or anything. In fact, uh, uh, a funny little sidelight is the police officer that was with him uh, was chewing tobacco <laughs> and, and swallowed his chew when they had oh. the sighting. <laughs> yeah. so, that's crazy, though, because that's also that's right where, Mark, the South Bay is um, you drive right over Lake Champlain. Oh, OK. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, did the other officer, didn't the other officer retract his part, though, in that story? Uh, no, he just doesn't want any attention. Okay. At all. Okay. And uh, uh, that's fine. Um, w- when Dan took the polygraph, there, there was absolutely no question mm-hmm. uh, about the validity of it or the validity of both of them being there. And, and I went to the site with both officers uh when they were still on their anonymous status and they both described it to me hmm. um so yeah and that's the other thing is Dan couldn't talk about this for 22 years and he had a series of health issues uh, heart problems and uh, uh Dan decided that uh, he wanted to get the story out and it was a slow process this wasn't where all of a sudden he decided here I am yes I had a it was he went up to talk to Doug Hijack one time, who was filming for Mysterious Encounters, which uh, was on uh, Outdoor Life Network at the time. And he sat down with Doug, and he talked about it, but he says, I don't want you to use my name. And so he didn't. And then the next time he decided to talk with the History Channel, and they could use his name, and they actually did the reenactment. Then he did the polygraph. And so it was a slow process before he became comfortable. But, you know, I think uh, it was uh, sort of a relief to him to get the story out and accurately. Hey, Paul, of the recent sightings, which of those, or maybe there's a couple, what are the most compelling recent sightings uh, as far as you're concerned? Well, we, like I said, we get these sightings all the time of uh, uh, actual eyewitness, uh, uh, which are rarer, the uh, uh, track finds, which are a little more common, and the vocalization reports, which are the most common. But the vocalizations, you could be dealing with multiple things. So it's very difficult to get a really good vocal report. I have a series of recordings that I'll play for witnesses, and they generally pick out one or two. Usually it's the high-pitched type of, type of a sound. Um, as far as track finds, uh, sometimes they're pretty ambiguous, especially in snow. And uh, so uh, the best reports we have lately, we do have a, uh, an eyewitness report, a nighttime report from the Bear vicinity in which someone saw something there uh, at night, uh, relatively close range, talking about a very large creature. Red eyes? Uh, I don't know about that characteristic with this report. Hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. We don't get the red eyes all the time. Yeah. But uh, when it does happen, like with the Cliff Spark sighting of 1975, it was the most prominent feature for him. Right. Um, 
uh, Frank Sosinski has a, a score of reports from the Vermont region, and just and you got to remember at the end of Abear Road, if you can you can either turn on Abear Road or you can go right. And you would go into Vermont. Yeah, we got we and, got lost and wound up in Vermont probably fifteen <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah, you you get out there and you get to these roads that are kind of uh, vaguely named like Book Road, mm-hmm. Main Road, <laughs> and you're looking around going, "Where am I?" Uh, in fact, uh, you'll know you're completely lost when you get out to Ghost Hollow Road, uh, which is, is uh, you know, and these are all basically in the same vicinity. If you, if you were to go to uh, Abear Road and, and turn into Vermont at the end of Abear. Uh, I think it's County Route. Uh, it's County Route ten or eleven, and you would turn, go into Vermont, and you cross a bridge. When you do that, uh, you're in. You would end up going to the West Haven, uh, Vermont area, which is close to Fair Haven. Mm-hmm. So that whole region is uh, just uh, laden with reports. And uh, actually, uh, Frank uh, Sosinski has gotten uh, a lot of reports, uh, mostly they're road-crossing type reports, where somebody's driving at night and the creature crosses the road, the most common report that we get. But uh, he's had several, and this is just a long, uh, consistent pattern. But nowadays, when you have a sighting like that, it doesn't make the paper very much. So uh, back in the 70s and 80s, in the 70s particularly, when when, uh, the focus of of your folks' documentaries, uh, you used to get newspaper reports all the time. That was probably the main way they were reported. But like I said, it's all different now. The the just going back to something we were talking about earlier with patterns and and that. What are some of the the patterns you notice other than the seasonal kind of migration theory? I mean, do you, do you correlate that with like berries coming in at a specific time or or deer migration or I mean, is there anything that you've been able to track like data wise? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it would appear that for whatever reason. Uh, uh, August, September, and October are big months, but you know Cliff Spark sighting happened in May, and Dan Gordon's happened in February, so it's it's a continual pattern. Mm-hmm. But we do seem to have whether it's more people are out in the woods at that time. I'm not sure whether the, it's because the food is more plentiful. Uh, there may be a lot of different factors uh, varying in there. There may be simply more people out out and about at that time of year. I don't know, you know, with hunters and so forth. Um, yeah, I, I'm really not sure. Along with that, the migration theory, are there any ideas about the range of that migration? How about, you know, how far these things might go? We had a, a, at the time he was an Arizona um, University student up here, and uh, he was, his name was Yashushi Kojo. And he had visited uh, the, uh, I think it was Screaming High Hills or something like that in Pennsylvania uh, and, and brought casts with him and stuff from there. Um, he took a look at our data, and he plotted. I helped him plot the map. He had, he had a lot of them already plotted, and I helped him plot some of the ones that were anonymous uh, because people didn't want their, their identities revealed, uh, the locations. So mm-hmm. we plotted them with him, and he felt that we were dealing with a circular migratory routes of mm-hmm. these creatures, and he felt that these creatures traveled several hundred miles in a, in a circular pattern. And, and, you know, uh, we could go down to Kinderhook as well. 
uh, Kinderhook, you're talking about 10 miles south of, of Albany. Uh, it's not an area that you would associate with this phenomena if you think of Albany, but really the terrain is very similar to up here. Hmm. And that's where Bruce Hallenbeck has done a tremendous amount of research down there with the uh, Kinderhook creature. In fact, his family has seen the creature on numerous occasions. They had an outbreak in the uh, late 70s, early 80s down there. And, uh, uh, you know, so, and we would have like a hyenic laughter uh, with tremendous decibel levels up this way, which was associated with the creature reports. Hmm. And they had the same phenomenon in Kinderhook at the same time. So uh, I'm inclined to think that uh, uh, for whatever reason, we do have those hot months, but you could have a creature sighting almost any time up here. And the most likely thing, I, I guess the, the, the best way, it's like hitting a lottery. Uh, you just happen to be driving around and it crosses in front of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's just the most common report up here. Um, the, the terrain there, Mark is crazy too. Like I know you've, I'm sure a lot of our listeners too have been to New York, but it is it driving from Ohio to Whitehall. You're you're literally driving all the way across New York from one side to the other, um, and it's insane to watch the terrain change from basically very very much like Northeast Ohio or mm-hmm. or either even like kind of Western Ohio in that Lake Erie area where you're just flat like kind of pasture land. And yeah. then you get further and further towards the mountains. And then up in Whitehall, it's very New England. Like, it just feels very New England, very old, very haunted, kind of like uh, Tim Burton Sleepy Hollow <laughs> vibe on those back roads around Bear. Especially, there was one particular place that Paul took us to the first time we were there. And I don't remember what it was. We went, it's not, it's close by to Bear, Paul. Um, you took us down there, and we went over this creepy old bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that location? Where is that at? Uh, that's how you would, if you were to go straight, mm-hmm. you would end up over in the the West Haven area. Okay. Um, that that brings you into Vermont mm-hmm. on the, uh, uh, it's one of the county routes. And uh, you have, just before you get there, you have like Wade Road and stuff. And what they did is this was an old bridge. And rather than tear the bridge out, they just built another bridge over the top of it. Right. And so it became a single-lane bridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it is. It, it's one of my favorite locations. And the odd thing is, if you were to take a left, there's huge cornfields there mm-hmm. surrounding the area. And if you were to take a left and go on this, this it starts off as a paved road and, and delves into this, this uh, just this uh, um, you know dirt road. Mm-hmm. And you would actually end up out by where they have uh, Ghost Hollow Road. Okay. So, I mean, and, and then all those roads there, you have Book Road, Main Road, uh, uh, they're just all very rural roads, and, and it doesn't help you to know you're on Book Road. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, because you, you just got to keep keep going until you hit a highway somewhere. Right. Um, Mark? Yeah, well, you know, just talking about the road names and things like that, in New York, do you notice sort of a name phenomenon going on where, you know, there's locations that have names that suggest strange occurrences? Is that a pattern that you've seen? Um, I, I'm not, I, I don't think so. Uh, now, Ghost Hollow Road has a little uh, creepy little horror story connected to it. 
Um, but uh, not not mainly. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, a bear was was uh, a lot of people think it's a b a a r, but it's it's a b a i r. I mean, and it's just the name of a you know a family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I mean, uh, you know, with the Champ Legend, you have have certain split rock and things like that, and you have uh, you know serpent type names, uh, snake names, things like that. Uh, I'm not aware of any up here that that uh, off the top of my head. No. Here in Ohio, we have a lot of what was it, Mark? Uh, a monkey hollow, isn't that yeah. a monkey like hmm. monkey hollow and monkey yes. scream and yeah, uh, it's down by Wayne. Well, there's a few National. different. Remember, we found out there's like a few mm-hmm. different ones in Ohio, right? Which is bizarre. Uh, they're not connected. It's not the same road. It's like throughout Ohio, there's these different Monkey Hollow roads, mm-hmm. which is unusual. But, um, Paul, we're gonna have to cut this short. Not cut this short. This is about what I have allotted since we have some of the interview with Brian. So, sure. um, but this was awesome. And again, like, thanks for taking part in in Beast Boy Hall and. Uh, all the contributions you made to the movie as well. I don't know that I've talked enough about it, but Paul from the very beginning was scanning stuff and sending me articles. I, st- I actually right next to my desk right now, I have a stack, like a literal stack of stuff that Paul sent me during the making of the movie. Um, so big thanks to you because pretty much and pretty much any time I needed to ask a question or something, I could call you and end up in a two-hour conversation that would go <laughs> go down any number of rabbit trails. Well, I, I want to thank you folks for coming up and really uh, revitalizing the, this whole uh, phenomenon up here. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I think what, what I take most away from all this is I think this has all been a very positive every way around, from mm-hmm. researchers, uh, people who've had sightings, and I think you, you help put this in a positive light, which is where I like to keep it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, let's let's try to keep it there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you. All right. Um, Bye-bye. Yep. Bye-bye.